0: Um, yeah, Joshua Bell was commissioned by Washington Post some years ago to go and play his violin in the entrance way to, uh, to a subway over in, um, uh, in what do you call it um, Boston that's where it was yeah Joshua Bell is one of the best um, violin players in the world. His violin is worth about $4 million. And the music that he played was world-class music while he was playing there. And that, is, that picture up on the screen there is actually a real picture because um, they had a camera hidden just to see how this would all work out. Um, and that's the picture that came out of it. A thousand and nineteen ninety seven people passed by. Seven people stopped to listen. One person recognized him and he collected from that thirty two dollars ninety seven cents from twenty seven passers by plus a twenty dollar note from the one person who did recognize him. Three nights before that, he was playing in the Boston Town Hall where the cheapest seat is worth more than $100. And they calculated afterwards with a packed-out audience that he was playing for over $1,000 a minute. Well, wow, what a difference. So what was wrong down there in the subway? Well, people just didn't know who he was. They weren't prepared for it. It's like taking a gospel out from a church and playing it down, and, and playing it down the street. And people just walked by and had no idea of the quality of the music that they were missing out on if they had only just stopped to listen. Today I want to just uh, draw your attention to this verse here where Jesus was in front of Pilate. He had already been captured by his own Jewish people and the charges that he was to be charged on were already decided on and he was taken to Pilate. And there as... Pilate questioned him in front of all of those people. He said, am I a Jew? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it was, my followers would have fought, and I've paraphrased this just a little bit just to help us to get the intensity of the meaning. My followers would have fought to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. That is a reference to when the disciples, and he, when they came to capture him and Peter grabbed his sword and lopped off one of the ears of one of the, uh, of the uh, soldiers, uh, but Jesus put it back and he said, no, put your sword away. Um, because this was all planned. And, uh, and so Jesus said, uh, my followers would have fought to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not this, of this world. So Pilate said, so you are a king. And yes, Jesus, yes, as you say, I am a king. But the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognise that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. He didn't wait for an answer. He turned as it were on his heel when he went out again and he said to the people, he is not guilty of any crime. We've been going through this series of the genius of Jesus and today we're going to be talking about the genius of the true We're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus is the truth. And we ask the question, what does it mean to testify to the truth? That's what Jesus said to Pilate. What does it mean to testify to the truth? We are bombarded in our age and our society with all sorts of information which we are expected to take on board and believe. And I just grabbed this one picture here just as an example. The story that you probably saw it on TV at one stage, um, and if not, it's on the internet as well, about a six-year-old boy who found a shark tooth. And, uh, and they said that it is confirmed that it belonged to a giant prehistoric megalogon. Megalogon, how do you say that? One of the biggest sharks that, that ever lived. And they said that it could be up to 20 million years old. And I guess the only question I really ask is, where was it swimming 20 million years ago before the earth was created? Jesus said when he was talking to people, not in the same situation but back a wee bit, he said to those people who he had been talking to and they were believing him, He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and that truth will set you free. We've been remembering, um, what do you call it, Matariki, uh, this weekend. And I think this weekend there's been some real positive vibes, hasn't there, between our our two races and all sorts of, some exciting things have been done. But what is it? what does it actually mean and that there is what is um, published as, as being the, the meaning of it and Claudine talked about this a little bit before. Some of you may look at that and say I'm not sure if that really is the depth of what it all means and you might be right, there may be some deeper meanings in some of this that would give us some concern but it's good the way that our, our two races can actually work together um, and do things together um, I just wondered what Samuel Marsden would have said if he came back and visited us just right at this time. Now, for those people who have possibly never heard of Samuel Marsden, Samuel Marsden was our first missionary to this country. He stood on a beach at um, a way up by Marsden Point, but it wasn't Marsden Point, it's something very Derek, you know the name of that beach, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I knew you'd you'd been there, yeah. And he talked on that beach on Christmas Day in 1800 and something to the Maori people and told them for the very first time the message of the cross. And there were no conversions that day but over the the months and years that followed uh, the Maori people themselves took up this message and spread it right throughout the whole of the country. And it's great and it came down here. And so the, so the gospel had a big inroads into the people uh, over those next years. But I wonder what he would say today if he was to come back into our culture and just have a look at what is happening. And um, maybe he would be a little disappointed in some areas because what happened to that message through, throughout those people? And... Um, so many of us are still back largely where they were in terms, of, um, in terms of their own cultural beliefs. But then I wondered too whether some of his biggest disappointments will be for us as Pākehā too. Because what happened to us when we came to this country and we brought the gospel with us, our Pākehā people, And we were a Christian country for over a hundred years, but in the recent times, we've dropped the ball, haven't we? We've dropped the ball. And um, nowadays, I wonder whether in our efforts to be all-encompassing of our races, that that we have been so much wanting to be all things to all people that we finish up being nothing to anybody. And I also wonder whether if Samuel Marsden was to walk on that door again today and if I was to step aside and I'd say, come on Samuel, come in, preach us a message, I wonder whether. Um, why is that not moving on? It's moving on for me. Oh no, it's alright, it's okay. I'm just looking at the wrong screen here. Whether he may even address this very verse that I was was all prepared to bring you today before I even knew that I was going to be speaking on this particular Sunday. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. On this occasion he was speaking to his disciples in a private space. It's in chapter 14, it's just after those verses where he talks about going to heaven to prepare a place for them. And then when, they, when Thomas said to him, he says, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. He moves on to this and he says, Jesus, Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can, give, can come to the Father except through me. Now I wonder what it, what it, how it would go down if, if in some of our smoko rooms, and especially in some of the bigger organisations like what I work in, if we were to say to people, hey, look, Jesus is the only truth, what sort of a response would we get in our world where we need to encompass everything, everybody? And they would say, well, that's your belief, all right? But it's not ours. And they would cry me down, would they not? And yes, they do. But and others would say um, that you know, we belong to a different faith and we believe in different things and so everybody has a different view and by definition every religion, even though we, we live in a country which is trying to be so encompassing of all people um, by very definition religion is exclusive it is Around the world, people die, not just Christians, but anybody who does not accept the particular major faith in many countries will die because they are considered heretic and will not accept the religion of that country. But Jesus didn't just say that I have the truth and that my way is right and these other ways are wrong. He didn't say that. What he said was, I am the truth. Now, that's a giant statement, isn't it? It's an astronomically bold statement to say not just that I know the truth, but rather that I am the truth. And so what does that actually mean? And it's that part that I want to explore a little bit for a wee while this morning because it's the key to understanding why and the... uh, why Jesus was was the answer to this truth, and why we talk about the genius of Jesus and the fact that he is the truth. There's a lot of other statements in the Gospel of John where the same word is used. Same words are used. He says, "I am the bread of life." He said, "I am the Messiah." I am the. I've got that one down twice. Okay, it's for good measure. I am the life of the world, and I am the good shepherd. If you've got a good Bible, uh, you may notice, a good translation of the Bible, you may notice on it that the words I am are both in italics, are both in capitals or small capitals. Why? Because those two words fit together. There is no real word in the English language to to describe this word. The two words go together and they are translated from the Greek word which means to be or to exist. And so when Jesus says I am the truth he is saying I am I am the eternal existent one. Now that's another thought isn't it? That goes even further for just saying that I have the truth but I am the eternal existent one. I am the truth. Chapter 8 he talks about Abraham. Um, he was, on this occasion, he was talking to people outside of his own disciple group. He was talking to people, again, those people who had been believing him. It's the same chapter, actually, as I read that verse earlier, but a little bit further down. He challenges them with this. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to see my coming. And he saw it, and he was glad. And the people said, You're not even 50 years old. How can you say Yet you have seen Abraham. And he answered and said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, before Abraham was ever born, I am. Now that sounds like really lousy English, doesn't it? But again, there is that meaning there, of the, that, that word there, I am, which is the uh, title of Jehovah that says, uh, I exist, I am the eternal one go way way back into the old testament and remember Jesus said before Abraham was I am and here is the story of Moses when he was first called to go and talk to the uh, go and lead the people of Israel back out of Egypt and when he was called God uh, or he asked Moses who am I going to say that has called me who has told me to go and God replied to Moses and he says I am who I am. I say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And again, the English is terrible, isn't it? But what does it mean? It's good English, but it's it's bad English, but it's good theology. And what he is really saying here is that he is the Eternal One and that Eternal One is sending him to them. Now in the Old Testament there I remember uh, debating this with somebody one time I was in a Bible study group one time which I probably should not have been at but I was there nevertheless they did not believe in the eternal existence of Jesus. And they argued that that the word in the Old Testament and the word in the New Testament were two totally different words. And so they are. In the Old Testament here, we have the Hebrew word haia, which means to breathe, to be, to exist. And in the New Testament, we had the word elmai that I mentioned before, to be, to exist. Now, have a look at those two words. One is from the Hebrew. One is from the Greek, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written largely in Greek. And so the two totally different languages both translated into English, and they look pretty close to me. Yeah, they are the same words. It's just a different language. And so what Jesus is really saying, that he was this one, that he was the God of the Old Testament who had come to them right now. Now, I want to just... um, Back this up with some other verses in John that show that this was in fact true. And in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, it starts reading like this In the beginning, the Word already existed. Now, note that there. He says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. He's introducing the Gospel here. This is his first words. And he says, The Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it switches the pronoun and says, He existed in the beginning with God. And so the Word, which we would take possibly to be the Bible, but it's not quite, it's the Word of God as He spoke it out. The Word existed back there with God. And then it says, He was with God. So Jesus was the Word of God through Him. Through Him, that is the Word. God created everything. Nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So you can see, and then it says, and he came into the world, into the very world that he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. And that's what was happening on that first verse that I read to you today. And so we go back to that verse and and have a look at it again. And it says, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. But have a look at that bit there that I had underlined there. It says, I was born and came into the world. Now, he's been talking to Pilate in this case. And so he wasn't going to give him the deep theolo- theology that he was giving to his disciples, but nevertheless, he says the same thing here. He says, the reason I was born and came into the world. In other words, he existed before his birth. Here's a summary of it all, written by Paul now. Paul came a little later. He was not one of the apostles. He didn't see Jesus um, on, during his uh, time here on earth but he did see him on the Damascus road when he was so um, persecuting the, the Christians at that time he was so antagonistic towards every believer but then he saw uh, Jesus on the Damascus road when the light shined down from heaven and he was converted But now in this letter to the Philippians which he wrote much later written while he was in a prison there in a Roman jail for his faith he writes this and it's a summary of everything that I've been trying to say up until now. Have this attitude in yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So now you can understand why, hopefully we can understand why, Jesus didn't just say, I hold the truth. I speak of the truth. My truth, what I'm saying is true and nobody else's is. He is saying, I am the truth because he was the creator of the universe. He was the creator of this world. And... He stepped into this world because they had lost their way and he came into the world to testify to the truth and to give his life for salvation. So the question is now though, does it matter? As I suggested before, there are two different, there are different views about whether or not Jesus was eternal, whether he came from eternity past or not? Does it matter? I think it does matter. The alternative view is that he only came into existence he only became into existence at his virgin birth and then at his baptism he became son of God Is that true? And doesn't? No, it's not true If we accept that, then we would be able to accept the Joseph Smiths, the Muhammads and others in the, who in history, over history, have, and in other religions, have, have reputedly done miracles, come down from heaven and other things uh, to we could accept them and put Jesus on the same level as them. Even the word "genius" seems to limit his true worth. And I don't say this to shoot down the title of the series that we uh, are doing right at the moment, but I kind of liken it, I feel it's a little bit like trying to do a measurement with a tape measure on a bridge. And we might go into my 10 and buy the biggest, the longest tape measure we can possibly find. We have to measure to a point on the bridge, but it's a long way down, and so we measure, but no tape measure can do it, and we pick it up and move it along to the next point but in the end we give, away, we give it all away and we walk to the other end of the bridge and do our measurement from there and I think that's what it is with the Lord Jesus, we try and compare him to human beings and see that he is so much more than anybody else on earth why? because we need to measure him as one who has come from heaven. He took upon himself the form of a man, stepped into our world. He is not one of us reaching out. So that's why I think that that is important. And the second thing I want to tell you, to talk about, uh, uh, oh yeah, and also John. John, most of these verses that I've read yesterday actually came out of John's Gospel. John was that disciple who, saw himself as being a special friend of Jesus. He talked about himself as being the disciple whom Jesus loved. It wasn't that Jesus didn't love the others, but he he, saw he had that special close relationship with Jesus. Even during the, uh, the Passover meal, he was the one leaning on Jesus' breast, and they would ask him, ask him what he means, ask him what he means, because John was right there leaning on his breast. But even John, Years later he was on Patmos Island and God spoke to him there, gave him the special revelation which when it was written down as the book of revelation in our Bibles. When John was there on that island, when he got this revelation, he said that he heard this, he saw this vision and he turned to see who it was that was talking to him and he saw seven golden lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, wool, white as like wool and as white as snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And there's much more to that description. I won't uh, quote all of it. But when John saw him, he says, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he put his right hand on me and says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. In some of the older translations, the words were, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And there again, he is testifying to John that he was from eternity past and he is to eternity in the future. But John, even though, can I use the expression, he was something like his best mate when he was here on earth. When he sees the resurrection Jesus, He just crumbles. He falls on the ground as though he was dead. And I wonder whether we have that full appreciation of who Jesus really is. So when he says, I am the truth, I am the truth, yeah, we look to him because of who he is. He is the truth. He was the creator of the universe. He is the creator of all of us. He holds our lives, all of our lives, in his hands and we just re- reverence him as being the truth. And the second point that I want to bring from this is how does that affect the life, the, the truth that we live the life of, on, on our own lives? How does it affect the truth that we live out in our own lives? I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. You can look it up on the internet and see it. But I actually got this story first. Off a, um, off an old vinyl when I was only about twenty years old. I'll just sit up here and relax and talk to you. The story is of a of a man by the name of Jim Voss who was a wiretapper. By that means that he ha- he was an expert in electronics, and who um, and he invented these bugs to. Uh, that he could put them in people's houses and you could hear what they were saying. Now, that's a big thing today. That's old, that's old technology today, isn't it? But in those days, way back then, it was not old technology at all. And the police employed him to, to, to bug the houses of some of the um, organised crime gangsters that they were trying to find out what they were really doing. And he did that. And he got quite famous for it and he earned a lot of money from it. But then some of the gangsters came and said to him "You know, to come and work for them. And, uh, and for a little while he finished up doing both. He was working for the police department on one side and then he was working for the gangsters on the other side and he was making lots and lots of money. But he soon found that the gangsters paid better than the police did. And so he went entirely over to that side. And one of the last things that he designed before he was converted was a device, and this is quite clever really, it was a device where he could put a, bug, put a delay in the wire for the horse racing. And so the delay was one minute and 40 seconds. And in that time, the horse race would finish and then they had people in key positions and they would, they would notify them as to what the outcome of the race was. They would go and place their, place their bets and they would come out winner every time. Very, very clever, but also highly deceptive. Crooked as it comes, and he made a fortune out of doing this sort of stuff. They had tested it, and they were going to install it across the northern states of America so they control the whole of the northern states of America. But for some reason, somehow, and I can't quite remember how it happened, but he found himself in a Billy Graham tent one night. And there he was convicted about his dishonesty, about all of the stuff that he was doing in his life, the way he was ripping everybody off and his own lost soul. And he came to know Jesus that night. He came to know the one who was the truth. His conversion was real. And as a result of that, he went out and he started making restitution to all of those people that he had ripped off. Now remember, this, by this time he was a very rich man. But he started paying back the people that he'd wronged. And he paid them back and he paid them back until he became completely broke. And one day he even had to leave his car on the side of the road when it ran out of petrol. He didn't have enough money left to go and buy petrol. And so that was it. And But there was one other thing that he did that is probably the biggest thing and the biggest challenge for him. And that was the fact that there was a policeman in jail who had been in jail for something like four years, who, had, um, who was there largely as a result of his testimony in a court case. And the gangsters and everybody, including him, had um, given false testimony against this policeman and had him put away. Jim knew that he couldn't let that continue because the testimony that he had given was totally false. And so he went into the police department and told them, he confessed and told them what he had done. They recalled the trial, and they put him on the stand. And before, before he, um, he gave testimony, they said to him, you know, boys, you don't have to do this. American law, what do they call it, the Fifth Amendment, that if your testimony is going to incriminate yourself, you are not required to, tes- to testify. And he said, I know that, but I've decided to testify. And they said to him about what, what it might do, you know, to how his mates, who he had testified with, might feel about him now crossing them out. And he said, it's okay. And they said, you will go to jail for perjury if you go through with this. And he said, I have to do this. And so he testified and the policeman was, re- was, re- was released from jail and at the end of that, the judge said it was so so comforting to suddenly find truth present when before all they'd had was a consortium of lies, lies and more lies. And I guess my message today is this, when we talk about Jesus and the truth, that if a man like Jim Valls, crooked and all as he was, if his conversion could be so real... That he's prepared to give away absolutely all of his wealth to right the wrongs which he has done. He was prepared to risk perjury in his own life, to, go, uh, to have that policeman released when he knew that he had wronged him. If Jesus, the author of truth, was prepared to go to the cross to pay the wrongs for